Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This episode is sponsored by Agenda 14. Learn more at agenda.com. The export styles, as they call them, which are the things that generate EPUBs or PDFs or whatever. And it's being able to create custom ones of those that has allowed me to publish entirely from the iPad and not have to go back to the mic for anything at all. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. I'm thrilled to be joined once again by Matt Gemmel, the author of numerous books, including the Kestrel series, the Once Upon a Time series, and the recently released Middle Shade Road. He was also a guest on episode 40 of this podcast back in December of 2018. So check that out as well if you like what you heard today. In this episode, we discuss how his writing process has changed, how he is now able to publish directly from the iPad, which he couldn't do when the last episode was recorded. He needed to go back to the Mac to finish things up. How trackpad support has changed things for him, focus mode, and much more. As a reminder, this episode is sponsored by Agenda 14, which was just released a couple of weeks ago. It is available now for free in the App Store. And I'll have more to share on Agenda 14 later on in this episode, diving deep into how this new smart menu bar system works. If you are a keyboard person that likes fast entry, this is something you'll want to hear about later on in this episode. Download Agenda now for free in the App Store to get started with one of my favorite apps that they continue to use year after year. With that, here's my interview with Matt. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, Matt. Thank you so much, Tim. It's a pleasure to be back. And it's been a while. So December 2018 was the last time we spoke, and it's now April 2022. So a good three to four years here. Um, Which have felt like about 35 years for all of us, I think. Yeah. So um, for those that haven't listened to that original episode back in 2018, you should go back and listen to it. But uh, can you kind of introduce yourself and what you do for work? Absolutely. My name is Matt Gemmel, and I'm uh, I'm Scottish, believe it or not, Unless you, in case you can't hear that. Um, I am a novelist. I used to be a consultant software engineer for a number of years, but for the past few years, I've been writing books full-time. Excellent. And you've written a number of them, and one just came out in February. That is true. Uh, it already feels uh, much longer than two months since then. But yes, a horror novel called Middle Shade Road uh, came out in middle of February this year, as you say, uh, and it was a great pleasure to get a book out in the first part of the year. Often it's summertime or later on. Uh, I kind of feel like I've got one in the bank for 2022 already. Yeah. So how many books does this make it for you? Uh, I think that's five books at the moment and deep in the, the middle of the, the sixth one, which is the third in the the techno thriller, the EU based techno thriller series that I do, uh, plus there were two uh, book length collections of flash fiction, sort of really mm-hmm. micro short stories, and also, as as we said, this standalone horror novel back in February. That's awesome. With the micro short stories, do you kind of write that alongside other books that are the as like a a cleanse to like just like focus on something for a little bit then jump back to the bigger books or how does that work for you it's a constant thing for me actually um what i do is it has it has multiple purposes um i write one every single week and they go out in uh, an email newsletter a free email newsletter that people can sign up to on my site if they wish 
and it's it's a way to as as you say as a, as a bit of a palate cleanser uh, in between my actual work and a way to keep practicing and to try new scenarios maybe to play with a story idea that might become a longer piece of fiction in the future uh, and of course from a deeply cynical marketing standpoint it gets people onto my mailing list and yeah. I can then tell those people about the actual books that come out later and of course there's this fourth purpose in that I can periodically collect them together into a beautiful big compendium with author's notes and so on and it's another book to put on my shelf here. That's awesome and have you noticed your process changing much during these five books like for your first book how has have things evolved since now book five and six? Uh, I think I, mean, I think I've gotten better at it, and I, I don't say that to praise myself, but more because it would be an incredible if if you didn't get better at something, doing it on a constant basis. Um, I I with the first book, I did take a bit of a sort of slapdash an approach that's called pantsing uh, in the writing community, uh, make it up as you go, and I very quickly realised uh, that that approach is not for me, and I'm definitely the other kind of, of writer, which is a planner, so I've gotten a lot uh, more disciplined about fully outlining things and working from an outline and sort of taking a structured uh, approach, which in retrospect shouldn't really be a surprise since I'm coming out of a software engineering career and I've very much got that sort of mindset and that approach to life. Um, you also learn a lot about just the the art behind writing a piece of fiction that's almost 100,000 words in length uh, in terms of foreshadowing and themes and uh, balance and pacing and all these sorts of things um it's it's maybe not lessons that you can consciously regurgitate but you do notice that the process becomes more instinctive and more intuitive and i suppose that's true of learning to do anything sure yeah absolutely and has your tool or like applications you use for the outlining brainstorming process changed over the years uh, I, I I can't remember exactly what I was using when you and I last spoke about this, but uh, at the moment I am a very heavy user of Good Notes, mm-hmm. which of course is a, a, one of this these this sort of cluster of lovely handwriting and and sketching and drawing sort of based note taking apps on the iPad. There's there are plenty of those notability and so on. Good Notes is the one that I've sort of grown up alongside. Um, and I tend to use that at the earliest stages as a a, a sort of digital whiteboard, I suppose, yeah. just just to get things together and start to see where um, where ideas could cluster together, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then I tend to once I I feel that I've got the the kernel of something, I tend to then move into Mind Node, uh, which is uh, is actually previously it was just a. Uh, mind mapping application of course hence the name but it's grown into quite a capable outliner in the manner of omni outliner and various other apps so i tend to use that both as a mind map and as an outline and you can you can flip the same document interactively between the two presentations at any time and that's what i use to build a full in inverted commas uh, because you can never really have a full outline for a book it always changes whilst you're writing um, into a full outline that I then take into my writing tool and the way I do it is essentially I take the next scene worth of outline put it into a new document in Ulysses in my case which is my writing tool 
and I make a couple of blank lines at the top of that chunk of outline and I start writing and I just delete the next bullet point um, once I've covered it. So the next thing I need to write about is almost immediately beneath my cursor and I know when I'm done with the scene because there are no more bullets. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And mind mapping uh, for me ha- has been a really powerful tool for the one and only book I've written, a nonfiction book about the iPod. Um that mind map was just ginormous and you know that uh, format kind of does let your brain just kind of like you know explode things out in different ways and uh, really lets you see things in a, a different way from from other tools out there it's true um i used to mind map a bit uh, back when i was at university um doing my computing science degree but i've actually found that mind mapping on the ipad's funnily enough with a a physical keyboard connected Mm -hmm. is the most intuitive way for me simply because i can type an awful lot faster than i can draw out you know text and bubbles and things yeah draw connecting arrows as i think most people can and uh, all of the mind mapping and, and outlining tools on the ipad mine node very much included they have such wonderful keyboard shortcut support so you can just be typing and it's firing off connections and drawing the map for you and for me at least the way my mind works that seems to be the perfect balance of getting the benefit from that visual presentation of connected ideas but still being able to input at a high enough speed that i'm not feeling I'm being held back. Yeah. So when we last spoke, you were using the then fairly new 2018 iPad Pro, uh, the 12.9. Is this still the same iPad you're using today to do all this work, or have you moved on to a different model? Uh, I would I would say the answer to that is yes and no. Um, no in a, a, a strictly sort of factual sense, because I'm using the 2021 uh iPad Pro 12.9 inch, uh, but f- of course I'm a writer, so the stuff I'm doing isn't exactly taxing the machine. Right. So fun- functionally, it could be that identical machine uh, for, for for the way that I use it. Do you uh, work in the dark mode and take advantage of the uh, great blacks and stuff on the new screen? I do, I do. I find myself uh, switching to those those pure black versions of dark mode themes where apps offer it. Um, because you you just do get that that beautiful contrast. Um, I let it, you know, be in light mode during the day because I've got yeah. I'm fortunate enough to have quite a light uh, office, lots of natural light, and I'm on an upper floor, so it's it's very nice and bright in here. Um, but in the evening time, yeah, I do love it switching to dark mode. Although I have found in in recent weeks that I'm having to switch it to dark mode myself and not wait for sunset because of course that's getting later and later and yeah i mean that'd be the main thing because you're probably not using thunderbolts i'm guessing or using a bunch of ram because you're writing books yeah i don't have um any sort of storage type peripherals connected or anything like that the literally the only thing i've got hooked up to the ipad is uh an external keyboard and that's it i mean of course i've got bluetooth headphones and things like that but yeah. it's, it's just just the keyboard <laughs> did you um ever get that magic keyboard or is it is your ipad just kind of used in this desktop or desktop mode i guess tabletop mode and when you're I, not I, yeah yeah I, I do have the magic keyboard um i had the 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 what is it space gray uh one for the previous ipad pro that i had uh i, I maybe i had it when you and i spoke mm-hmm. i can't actually remember when, when they released that yeah um but i went for 
the white one, the white magic keyboard this time, because, you know, the same reason anyone does, they see a new <laughs> color, it looks cool, you fancy a change. Um, and it is a beautiful thing. It's also much more fingerprint resistant than the darker version I have found. Um, I was going to ask, so yeah, it's holding up, it's not getting all grimy? Oh gosh, no, it's so much better. I, I remember huh. when I got the first magic keyboard for the iPad um, and took it out of the case and oohed an ad over it and connected it up and looked at it and there were fingerprints on it already from myself within the first, literally the first minute. Whereas the white one, I'd be hard pressed to notice any marking or discoloration. But of course, as you say, I use the iPad on a desk during the day and I only tend to grab the magic keyboard when I'm maybe taking the iPad downstairs in the evening yeah. to sit on the couch. Um, so it's an evening and travel thing although travel has been extremely hypothetical in recent years <laughs> yes it has and with the fingerprints are you talking about like the keys and trackpad area or the exterior part uh the on on the the, the keys and on the, the keys, yeah. surround area yeah, yeah that stuff notice. can show for sure yeah, you do see the markings on it, and the the gray, the dark gray material of the previous one. I don't, I'm not sure if they changed the actual material since, but uh, it was, as I say, literally within a couple of minutes. Whereas the white, to my eye, still looks brand new even now. And I got it whenever they released this. Yeah, uh, a couple of years like now, last May or June or something. Very cool. I opted for the gray one because I I just um, I use it a lot as a stand to watch movies and having a big white thing there seemed like it might be distracting for for that use of it well, that makes sense yeah. yeah i just um i wanted the aesthetic i've got a very defined sort of aesthetic and i love the i got the the silver backed ipad pro this time instead of the space yeah, that's one. the way to go that's what i got as well <laughs> it is it is a beautiful thing yeah and i've got the my keyboard is white the my external mechanical keyboard that i have and my headphones are as close to white as i could get a pair of sony xm4s to be it's a sort of funny gray color yeah and i've got my, my one sort of nod to fun on my desk is the one of the new oled version nintendo switches and that's of course the white one with the white natural white joy cons so it's got a nice uh sort of it's white with black highlights and then my walls are purple and my desk mat is purple purple is my color so i have a very defined aesthetic so it had to be the white magic keyboard even though it only sits on the desk occasionally did you um pick up a magic trackpad uh when you're in that tabletop mode or do you just use a keyboard and touch I, I use touch a little bit, although I've got my iPad far enough back and up on a, a an expensive metal stand that I, w- I would need to reach for it. Um, I've got two ways of using pointer control. One is the keyboard itself, because um, mm-hmm. I've got a fancy mechanical keyboard that I've customized, so I can it, it can be turned into a mouse or a scroll wheel or whatever by pressing various combinations of keys. Oh, that's wild. Um, and I also recently got one of those uh, sort of trackball mice where there's a big sort of thumb ball mm-hmm. instead of moving the physical mouse around. Just as a kind of ergonomic consideration, I'm trying that out and quite liking it so far. How does the keyboard thing work as far as using it as a pointer? I'm, I'm curious. Can you dive a little bit into more into that? Well, this is um, mechanical keyboards are one of my things, one of my sort of nerdy weird hobbies. So I have a keyboard called a Korn, C O R N E, and it's a split mechanical keyboard. So it's got two little keypads, one to the left and one to the right, separated by a cable. Um, it has got 34 keys in total, so a, a very small number of keys and. 
the way it works is, is there are sort of keys on it which when pressed, much like the shift key, change what the other keys do whilst that key is pressed. So it's got this concept of layers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to build the keyboard and compile the firmware for it and make the key map for it and choose the lighting beneath the keys and all that sort of thing. So it's a completely custom gadget. It's like a hobby thing. <laughs> so I I just have a layer um, where some of the buttons that are normally cursor keys, they turn into the corresponding mouse keys when another button is held at the same time and so on. I have written a, a far too long blog post about it and the key map is open source on my github and there's a diagram of how it all works if people want to check it out they can get a link from the blog part of my site that's super cool uh, since we last spoke uh the ipad mini got some love with uh, a redesign does this tempt you as a secondary little ipad to have on the couch uh, the temptation is always there and um, particularly since it has the the same form factor as the ipad pro but I've yet to succumb to it for one, for the reason that it's still 400 odd quid or whatever it is. And um, I know that it would just be another thing to play with and to update and so on. And I I just really don't see how I would use it as an ancillary device for my main iPad. The thing Mm -hmm. I love about the iPad Pro is that it transforms. So you just take it off the stand and it becomes a drawing slate or a two-up book or whatever you want it to be. And I just don't really feel the need for having a small device like that. When I when I look at the, the iPad mini, um, I can see how you'd want to use it maybe for games or, or watching media. But in a work context, something that size to me is a notepad. It's something to scribble on, particularly yeah. since it has the magnetic Apple Pencil support now. And the quick note feature on ios sorry ipad os 15 mm-hmm. um, kind of kind of obviates that because i can do that on the main ipad have a sort of separate floating notepad at the same time yeah um so for that reason i'm i'm sort of even less in the market for the ipad mini interesting um, it's a be- it's a beautiful device but i don't personally really see a space for it in my workflow at the moment yeah if the price point was more appealing for yeah, that if is it became more of an impulse yeah. buy then then possibly but honestly yeah. it would my my wife would probably tell me it was a silly impulse purchase that would end up sitting on a shelf and yeah. she would invariably be correct about that <laughs> uh, so how do you find the larger sized ipad that's the one i use i use the 12.9 how do you find it uh, kind of when you're lounging around on the couch and using it for non-desk work. Um, it is. It, it, it's in that. It's in that sort of uh, range of weight, whereby it's wonderful and sleek for the first few minutes, but after that, you think, you know, how can I lean this against my knee or something? Where's um, the nearest pillow to prop it up? You know, exactly. <laughs> and so for that reason, I've got a a beanbag thing that they have they have these little beanbags you can buy that are about perhaps the size of a soccer ball or mm-hmm. less um and they're approximately sort of pyramid shaped but of course being fabric around the beanbag you can reshape it however you like and it's designed as a sort of lap rest for a tablet type device and you can of course choose your own angle since it's just a, a lot of you know little styrofoam beads inside a, a cl- a cloth bag and I have one of those and I find that if I'm doing something like uh, working on my schedule for the next day which I do in good notes or if I'm editing sort of reading through proofreading editing in Ulysses which I do with the Apple Pencil using the uh, scribble feature in iPad OS then I, I tend to leave the magic keyboard upstairs and I just use the beanbag with the iPad and that of course takes care of 
the hand and wrist fatigue of holding the thing up yeah. whilst you're using it. And I just leave the beanbag sitting on my office couch when I'm not using it with the iPad and it can serve as a occasional pillow for a wee cheeky afternoon nap. That's great. Yeah, I had like a beanbag thing designed for the iPad back in 2010 and I'm not sure where that ended up. It was so nice though. It had a little wooden like um, cylinder thing towards one end so it had a, like a prop up point as well to it which is cool mm. i think mine is just it's just fabric but it does have a, a pocket in the side of it you're meant to put your phone yeah in, but um i don't know who these people are who allow their phone to you know be away from their person even if it's just on the lap it mine is always in my pocket yeah i wouldn't want a phone uh, where that would be placed if it's on my lap um, no indeed not yeah no um so you mentioned a new stand since we last spoke or a stand. I'm not sure if it's you've changed it up. I know. Um, so I use the Hoverbar Duo that came out um, fairly recently, like a year or so ago. And then I know there's the magnetic ones, the Mag Float, and there's all sorts of options now. What did you settle on to use? You know, I it, it's such a an inexpensive slash affordable slash cheap slash. It's probably on Amazon under six different brand. Oh, I see. Yeah, China type ones. So yep. it's, I'd need to look it up for you. But it's um, the reason I chose it over my previous one, which is a Lamacol, um, is simply that it lets me lift the iPad up higher off the desk for a better eye line. I I pretty much only have the iPad in landscape mode. Mm-hmm for my work the only time i flip it to portrait if I, is if i'm doing a video call um so this one it's just got a big metal base and it lifts the thing up perhaps 10 or 12 centimeters i suppose okay off of the desk surface and that just that just suits me fine uh but yeah i have absolutely no recollection of its brand name <laughs> yeah so um you spoke about the trackpad a bit ago uh, you have a mouse and on the keyboard um how in practice do you find that has impacted kind of your day-to-day use? You're, you're able to have the iPad further away, which is good, but, you know, how have you found it overall? I, I find that I'm sort of constantly playing a, a game of cat and mouse with Apple on this because every time I get a stand or a pointing device or something that's designed to make it easier to interact with the, the parts of iPad OS that don't yet support keyboard navigation apple then invariably enhances the keyboard navigation so they obviate those devices um the tab key focus thing that came in oh yeah ipad os 15 was it 15.0 or late or i think it was uh with the initial release yeah you had full keyboard navigation of the os so that that adds so much um and it does take away a lot of the needs uh for using a pointing device the one thing that i i constantly get annoyed by and have to use a pointing device for is when you go to a website and of course the thing pops up at the bottom offering to log you in with credentials that are already in iCloud or in one password or something and you get that big blue button that you just need to tap to make the to make iPadOS fill in the password information and uh, there doesn't seem to be a keyboard shortcut to trigger that big blue button return doesn't work because you're in a form field that would submit the form um so i i often need to click that incredibly annoying button i wish i I wish there was a uh setting to do like an intentional two eye blink and have that trigger it or something that anything i would yeah i would i would perform almost any contortion to (laughs) to, like a caveman reach for that 
massive big blue button. I cannot imagine why there's not a keyboard shortcut for it, but um, that is one of the things that keeps me using the pointing device. And indeed, the one of the reasons that I configured a pointing device layer on my keyboard just to hit that login button. Hmm. Yeah. So we've talked about your writing process a bit. Um, has your marketing and promotion process changed since we last spoke? That's been a, a bit here. Um, I, I suppose the weekly stories and that whole system of things counts as a, as a change um, because you, you know, one of the most important things as a writer, not just as a writer, as anything where you're selling your own stuff, um, but one of the, the standard things in the writing community is that you got to have the mailing list. Um, so I've been focusing an awful lot more on that. The problem is always getting the word out to people. The bookstores, um, whether it be Amazon or Apple Books, they've gotten a bit better about automatically sending email recommendations when a new book comes out from an author whose work you've already read. I'm sure we've all received yeah. those emails and um, my wife likes to laugh when amazon sends her an email to ask her if she was aware that matt gemmel has a new book out yes, she <laughs> probably was aware more aware than most <laughs> um other than that i'm trying to be more consistent with the uh, blogging and writing an awful lot more about stuff that's directly relevant to my writing i, I think previously i came i had that transition coming out of software engineering but I was clinging with my online presence on, into my, my, onto my old persona, I think. And I've taken the opportunity recently to just completely redesign the site and refocus it and accept you're an author now. And writing about tech is always going to be a sort of secondary hobby thing. Mm -hmm. the, the two worlds have switched places. You know, the, the hobby has become the job. The job has become the hobby. Um, and I'm just trying to keep going that way. It's just a matter like like building a following in social media or anything else. It's about consistency and uh, momentum and long periods of time and a bit of luck. Yeah. And you mentioned Ulysses is your writing app these days. That app's had a lot of you know improvements since they moved to that subscription model. What have been some of the big things they've added over the years that you feel have really impacted your work in positive ways? Uh, the wonderful thing about Ulysses is that they are extremely reluctant uh, not to add features necessarily, but to add user interface. They like to keep it extremely simple in presentation and to keep it quite conceptually pure. Um, I mean, that's my interpretation as, as an outsider. But they do occasionally add features that uh, do present themselves more obviously in the user interface and it's little conveniences that, that make a big difference things like applying coloured labels uh, and applying tags to sheets which is the name for documents in Ulysses um, and having colours associated with those tags um, it seems like a, a sort of simple organisational construct but when you're writing a novel what you can do is you can use those, for example, to track which scenes contain conflict and you can use them to track which scenes are from the point of view of the protagonist and the antagonist and it creates this sort of flow of colour and you can get a visual representation even in your writing tool of the balance of points of view and the pace of conflict and all this sort of thing. So I've found that uh, enormously useful. I also obviously appreciate the customizability of the theme for the editor to some extent, although 
you know, you could work with black text on, on a white background uh, readily. But what I appreciate is the ability to customise the output the export styles, as they call them, which mm-hmm. are the things that generate EPUBs or PDFs or whatever. And it's being able to create custom ones of those that has allowed me to publish entirely from the iPad and not have to go back to the Mac for anything at all. What I'm generating EPUBs for uh, KDP, that's the Amazon Kindle store, or for Apple Books or the other ebook bookstores, or generating the interior PDF page masters for paperback printing i can do all of that straight from ulysses using the export styles that i've created and that's enormously freeing it also allows me to do a lovely little thing which is i'm not sure if i'd I'd started this by the time you and i previously spoke but i do autographed ebooks whereby people buy an autographed ebook and they tell me what name they'd like inscribed and i basically generate a custom epub where i sign the cover art for them so it shows up in their ebook reading application or their reading device like a kindle or yeah a nook, nook or whatever it is and that's a wonderful thing to be able to do and it's incredibly simple for me to do because it's it's a matter of i have a shortcut that helps me of course but essentially it's duplicating a jpeg of the cover in the Photos app, then using Markup uh, with the Apple Pencil in Photos to do the signature and then taking that into Ulysses, uh, generating the EPUB and wrapping up in an email to that person and away it goes. And it takes a couple of minutes and it's a lovely thing for people to have. It's been it's been really popular. Hundreds of people have got these things and it's just a, a delightful thing to be able to do that gives you a wee taste of that um, author sitting at a table signing books for people sort of part of the the lifestyle that that writers want without having to to step away from your desk yeah that's super creative solution because epubs once you're actually inside of it they're generally i guess there can be images but generally it's text so the cover which you see every time you open it is kind of where you'd want that rather than kind of in the first couple pages of a book like uh traditionally would be done that was my feeling. Um, you would you would most often have a signature, perhaps sometimes inside the cover on the uh, an epigraph page if there is one, or the title page, perhaps. But as you say, it's so hidden. And I, I thought back when I was uh, wondering how to do this, it was prompted by someone's suggestion on Twitter. I thought that if if it was it was something I was getting from myself, I would want to be able to see it every time I looked at that virtual library of book covers in Apple Books or on my Kindle's home screen. So the having the signature on the cover it makes people smile every time they see it, whether they've already read the book or not, and it yeah. generates that personal connection. And what I've found is that people who get an autographed EPUB of one book in the series will invariably want to sort of collect the whole set in that manner. And is it hard picking out a color to sign with so it's um, nice and clear, like contrasting color to the cover? You know, before Middleshade Road, which is that horror novel of mine that came out in February, I would have said, no, no, it's absolutely fine because my my techno thriller series, the Kestrel series, they have extremely sort of strong theme colors on each book. So you you're basically picking whatever colour is contrasted to that and that's mm-hmm. what you sign with. But Middle Shade Road, it's got a much more sort of variegated cover with dark stormy clouds and there's a lot of variation between sort of bright blues through to blacks. And yeah, it's it's really, really tricky and you don't want to put a big 
plain coloured barcode like box on its design within it. So sometimes I even sign those. I do the inscription in one colour and then do my signature in a different colour so that there's enough contrast. And then, of yeah. course, they put it on a Kindle that's black and white anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's really cool to hear Ulysses can help you through this whole process now. Because I think before, in their last chat, you actually did need to finalize the file on the Mac, if memory is correct. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I think there were two things involved there. I think there was some aspect of the either the typography or the layouts of producing perhaps the PDFs that I couldn't quite manage in Ulysses at that point. And the other thing was that the Kindle store, I think, only accepted their own... The Mobi files. Native Kindle format, yes, yes. But these days, KDP will take an EPUB and sort of transcode it for you. That's really cool. those two things together uh, make an iPad-only planning and writing and editing and publishing both to ebook and print workflow just so easy. That's really cool to hear, yeah, because Kindle is always the the odd duckling the 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 quote-unquote monopoly that has has to be different for everyone else yes and with their their drm and their fancy formats i mean there is a purpose to it they've got all these um clever typography features and the the uh what do they call it x-ray where you can sort of have metadata uh for characters and settings and they they do a lot of wonderful stuff and i know you can like sync if you're reading it it can sync to your audible version of that which is yes it's incredibly clever it's a wonderful that's that's almost magical the first time you you play with it um and of course they get highlights and definitions and so on but um no they do accept a standard epub and they do a wonderful job of converting it nicely so i don't need to worry about firing up kindle preview or caliber or something on the mac to do that last bit of the conversion that's great yeah yeah caliber is such an old archaic tool but it gets the job done um, yes it's like the the 1980s mainframe sitting in the basement of a modern shiny bank building yeah. that is completely indispensable but no one wants to acknowledge that it's still there yeah so with the Ulysses exports, those are all custom things that you've managed to build. And did you have to build them in Ulysses on the Mac and then push them over to the iPad? And then once they're set up, they're good to go? Or how does that work? Exactly as you say, yeah. Right now, the editing of these export styles uh, only happens on the Mac. In terms of having an interface for it in Ulysses, I think there are ways that you can do it on the iPad in an external text editor like Textastic or something. And then sort of save or or open the file and Ulysses will open it. But in terms of having a, a GUI to create a new style, put your name on it, create a preview image, etc., uh, you do currently need to do that on the Mac. But it's a one-time thing. I, I did it a few years ago and then that was it, uh, finished. And it's, it's basically like... Um, it's very much like a big sort of fancy CSS file, you know, casting yeah. style sheets for the web. And it, it defines how it will output certain things. And once you've got it the way that you want it, um, it syncs just like your actual text library. The styles sync over to the iPad as well. And then you've got it and you can just export as many times as, as you like. Nice. And audiobooks, is that something you've explored at all in these couple of years? I've, I've looked into it. Um, they're extremely popular, and when you you know put a, a novel out that people enjoy reading, you will have requests for an audiobook version uh, straight away. So, the the problem, of course, or not the problem, but the the you know the potential stumbling block is 
the cost. Yeah, it's a time-intensive thing to produce. It, it, oh, it's, it's massively time-intensive, or it's extremely expensive, or some combination of the two. There are there are services that will do it for you, and they will either just take a huge fee to do it quite understandably because mm-hmm. it takes them a huge amount of time and they have a, a lot of equipment they need to have and they've got so much editing to do it's quite right that it's expensive um, or they can take a lower fee and a share of profits but that requires that you can obviously demonstrate a certain number of readers etc etc um, the third option would be of course to do it yourself but that right. creates an enormous requirement of time you need to have pretty hot audio equipment a good place to do the recording, a huge amount of time to do the editing, and you have to have an accent that everyone can readily understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge um, audiobook person, and uh, yeah, I can. Im- some of the production is just incredible. It's like this must have taken just forever. This all perfect. It's an art, um, like anything else. I mean, voiceover artists, which is what audiobook recording, uh, you know, services provide to you. Uh, they are absolutely artists. Yeah, I mean, you have yeah. characters and they're voicing out these, yet they're, you're, you know who the character is before they say, you know, at the end of the book, uh, the sentence will say, you know, said this character, but, you know, they're reading it in that tone before you even get that point. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an art. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, if I was to do it myself, uh, you would have that delightful, it's a Scottish accent reading the book kind of thing, but uh, I don't currently have an audio setup to do something like that. It's not something I'd want to put that amount of time into because, of course, particularly when you're working for yourself, time has a very a huge and very direct financial cost. It's it's time that it's opportunity cost that you're losing when on actually writing new books. Um, and I'd rather leave that to a professional. It's something for the future and something I'm very keen to do, but that just sort of doesn't fit into the, the kind of marketing plan balance for me at the moment. Yeah. Say you were to produce that kind of audiobook file, is it an easy thing to get into Audible and these other places? In terms of sort of being accepted onto it? Kind yeah, of like publishing the actual audiobooks, is there? Yeah, I'm not sure if there's a, any kind of gateway um, to Audible from looking at KDP, because Audible's an, an Amazon company these days, um, there is uh, the, the interface when you log in as a publisher to set up paperbacks and set up ebooks. It looks like you can just do it from the same place. Okay. So I imagine you're able to just publish in the way that you're, you're able to just publish an ebook or a paperback, but I've not gone through the process. So I would okay. defer to their official information on that. This episode is sponsored by Agenda, which just rolled out version 14. In this quick break, I want to share about their awesome new smart menu bar for iPad in Agenda 14. The theme for Agenda 14 is autocompletion. And one huge way that is done is this new smart menu bar that will show up at the very bottom of the screen. This menu bar works for a bunch of different things, including tags, people, links to other Agenda notes, and actions. So here's how this works. While you are typing in any note body, you can type one of four different characters to invoke this smart menu system. By typing the at symbol, that will invoke the people bar. It will have your most popular people you include in notes. If you don't have any people, you can start typing the name and it will create that person. You can even now include a parentheses around that person's name to have their full name included with the space. If you forget that, you can just tap on their first name after you hit the spacebar to go in and edit the name to include their full name. This new system of using parentheses or going in and editing works for tags too. 
So if you have multiple word tags, these are now fully supported in Agenda 14. The second smart menu bar is for tags. Type the pound sign to get into that. You'll have your most used tags right there. Just like in the people menu, you can tap on it to edit that tag. The third smart menu bar makes it super quick to link to other agenda notes and is one of my favorite additions to Agenda 14. Simply type two square brackets, that's the key right next to the P key on your keyboard. In this new menu, you'll first have your overviews, then your projects. When you click into a project, it'll then list all the notes of that project. A cool little trick with this is you can type recent to have it show you all the recent notes you've worked on. And a little trick to all of these smart menu bars is you can fully navigate them with an external keyboard. Once there's a smart menu bar, simply hit the down arrow or up once you're navigating to navigate around these smart menu bars. Hitting enter will either apply that person tag or note, or with projects, it'll open that project up for you so you can select the note from there. In the past, linking to other notes was a bit of a process, and this new system makes it super quick and easy to do so. Once a note is linked to, it'll show up in the related note sidebar, and it is a two-way thing, where when you tap on that link, the original note you came from will now appear at that sidebar. Those links are tied together through the system. It's really cool. The final smart menu bar is invoked with a backslash. This is a general purpose menu bar that has a lot of functionality, including if you type tag or person, it'll pull up those earlier menu bars we were working in. You can even select link event where when you select that, the menu bar will have your calendar items up today pulled up and you can link that note to an event from today. I'll have more to share on this menu bar in the future because there's just so much functionality packed into it. If you are a fan of being fast and effective with your keyboard, you are going to love the power and flexibility this new system in Agenda 14 enables. Get started today for free by downloading Agenda in the App Store. Everything I share today is included for free, and if you like what you are using and want even more from the app, give the premium version a try. You get a ton of power user features that are yours to keep even if you never pay for Agenda more than that one time. My thanks again to Agenda for sponsoring this episode of Hyper Pros. Learn more at www.agenda.com. That's www.agenda.com. Download Agenda today for free in the App Store. So besides Ulysses, Mind, Node, and Good Notes, are there any other key applications that you use in the writing process? Uh, I it's not really in the writing process, but there's a, a to call it a text editor is a grave disservice. But there is an app called Drafts that I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah, with. ten year anniversary this week as we're recording. There you go. Um, and you so you know it's an incredibly flexible customizable, indeed programmable um, with a, a full JavaScript API, uh, f- extremely flexible app for working with text. It's sort of, it's a, you know, a, a distant cousin to, I suppose, BB Edit or mm-hmm. apps of that type on the Mac. And I actually publish the those newsletters with the stories that I mentioned earlier using drafts because they need, they need to go into certain HTML templates uh, in order to be fed up to MailerLite, which is the distribution service that I use. Um, and I also use drafts as the way to get writing onto the blog, um, not just posts and the stories that are published there as well, but even content for the pages 
and things like that. Ulysses is, uh, of course, a markdown editing environment, but it's very stripped back just to focus on the writing itself, whereas sometimes you need something that lets you just work with text and to manipulate it in various ways. So I keep drafts in my doc for that, and I, I use it uh, at least every couple of days. So that's really cool. So the newsletter, you don't even have to go to a web client or their like app to publish. You can do that entirely from drafts and never open Safari to finish it? The only thing I need to open Safari for is to literally paste the pre-made newsletter into the new campaign screen on MailerLite. But there is... Oh, a... Okay, so you paste like the HTML generated from drafts into there. That's right. Okay. I designed it as a sort of static page, then templatized it. It's got its own CSS and I have a drafts action. So essentially I finish writing the thing in Ulysses, share it using the share sheet in Ulysses to put it on the clipboard, go into drafts and, and trigger the action I've written and it produces this lovely or at least passable, uh, looking newsletter that's ready to go straight onto MailerLite. And indeed, there's an API for MailerLite, and Drafts can do all kinds of network access with uh, programmed via JavaScript. So I'm sure I could automate it at some point. That's that's really cool. And for the writing of the short story itself, uh, you're in Ulysses in like a short story group for that? Yes, the Ulysses' philosophy is that you should keep all of your text there no matter what it is and I find that that actually makes a lot of sense because everything is searchable and you've got the same interface and the same keyboard shortcuts and so on so everything from uh, even emails honestly non-trivial emails right through to the stories content for the blog of course all of the books even marketing materials, blurbs for the back of the books, um, stuff for Facebook, stuff for social media related to the books. It is all written in Ulysses in an appropriate sort of hierarchical set of groups. Um, and then I just share it out from there as needed. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, for the covers, the artwork, do you outsource that work or is that something you handle yourself? I, I outsource that. I use okay. a, a cover, cover designer because um, I, w- I would dearly love to be a graphic designer and I can I can do certain things myself, but I think it's important to, to let professionals do their work, basically. Yeah. And uh, to it's an important piece not... of the book. Like if, yeah, if it's not professional level, it, it'll show. Yeah, that's it. People do judge a book by its cover, of course. They do. And you, you know yourself. Um, if you're buying books, you know the first thing that makes you jump in from that listing. Okay, it's maybe a little bit the description, but the cover really, really matters. So, I would not want my comparatively childish scribblings or immature photo editing application usage to jeopardize something that's a result of months and months of work and pain and struggle. So no, I use an agency called Books Covered um, in the UK, uh, particularly a gentleman called Stuart Batch, and he's done almost all my covers uh, for me, including the Kestrel series and this whole series logo design. And he, I get a, of course I get a a very large um, JPEG, high quality JPEG out of that, also a layered file uh, Photoshop but I use Affinity Photo on the iPad uh, which is a magnificent photo editing app um, so I can repurpose things like the cover backgrounds to use as banner images and 
you know, turn it into a full cover wrap around with a spine, etc., which is something you can only do at the very end of the process because, of course, the spine width depends on the page count, which depends on the final typographical layout, which depends on having fully edited text, which depends on blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned quick notes earlier. Uh, how do you find yourself using this new kind of popover window that we now have in iPad OS? Mm, yeah, I, I, I love quick notes. It's one of these Apple features where you love the idea so much that you try very hard to find reasons to use it. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole kind of floating um, window, finally. What can I do with it? Yeah. Um, so the, the the wonderful thing about quick notes is that from a technical perspective, it's tied into all the same stuff that provides handoff uh, and related features. So a quick note, as, as everyone has seen in the demo, is specific to the actual task you're doing on the iPad so if you've got a particular web page up and you take a quick note via highlighting something it sort of sticks to that web page conceptually so it comes back up as a suggestion in the corner when you go back to that same specific web page um, it's uh, I forget what my what iPad OS calls it, it's like a, a user intent or user activity I mm-hmm. think um, and the nice thing about Ulysses is that every single sheet is a one of these user activities. So if you flip it, open the quick note window via it's that drag up from the bottom right corner. Um, when you're editing a certain sheet in Ulysses and you take a note there, um, there is that option sort of to, to tap a button on the quick note to insert a link to the Ulysses sheet. And it will come back up when you're editing just that sheet again. Oh, that's and cool. you can do that for as many as you like. So you can literally use it to take notes that pertain just to that one specific document and it will be represented to you when you come back to it, which is exactly what you would want. So what I, I find myself doing sometimes is that I'll use that as a, a place to make TK notes uh, when I'm writing or to just have a sort of first pass of things that I want to address later. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like your proofreading uh, way of going about things. Yeah, but sometimes when you're editing, um, you don't want to just immediately take action on something, delete a word or, or you know, move a comma or whatever it is. It's, it's something that you've noticed and you want to take some time to address later to think about to research. And quick notes are fantastic for that because you can just sort of scribble over it or make a little drawing or even, even like take a... a cropped screenshot and paste it in uh, and it gives you something that you can go straight back to and indeed will jump up at you from the corner of the screen when you come back to it later and with ulysses i know some apps you can like highlight text and it'll reference that text in the quick note does that functionally work that doesn't work in ulysses i've only seen that in safari, safari and i think maybe the quick notes api doesn't yet provide okay that. Yeah. to developers i think that's a custom sort of special sauce thing for just for safari right. at the moment but i'm sure if that facility becomes available in the quick notes api which i imagine it will mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll take advantage of it because it's so natural in the context of of editing a piece of writing yeah so we've spoken about publishing out of ulysses and how uh, friendly the Amazon kind of backend has become. What's the Apple's backend like these days? And I know Apple Books, you can publish right through the Pages application now. That's a new thing um, since we last spoke, I think. Yeah, um, I've never used the publishing via Pages uh, feature. I assume that's quite a nice workflow. It's it's less pleasant when you're doing it outside of 
pages, unfortunately. Okay. I think I think when the the App Store and the iTunes Music Store all came about, Apple probably had to quickly hack together something to let music labels and other such executives um, log in and put their tracks up and get sales yeah. data and so on. And it was sort of hacked together. And initially, I think they just pretty much copy-pasted that to do the App Store when the App Store came along. Mm-hmm. But since then, the App Store uh, developer portal has become much, 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 much nicer because, of course, the App Store generates vast amounts of money. Yes. <laughs> um, whereas, unfortunately, the book side of things has perhaps understandably, lagged behind. So it's split between these two different sort of portal sites. There's one where uh, you log in and it's all gigantic buttons and it's all blue and white. Yeah. It's all sort of lovely looking where you fill in a few nice fields and uh, upload your cover and upload your EPUB. And then it says, fair enough, uh, now you have to bounce over to iTunes Connect to actually set up the pricing and the geographical distribution information. And then suddenly you're in, you know, Mac OS (laughs) 10.2 tiny buttons and all the URLs have got like web objects stuff in them. And it's really slow and it's hideous. And it's lots and lots and lots of tiny, tiny, tiny pop-ups like a Windows 95 application. It's... um, it's not the nicest, I have to say, but it's it's a necessary evil and you get used to doing it and we live in constant hope that they will update that side of things soon. Yeah, we can hope. Yeah, <laughs> I've experienced some of that with the podcast back end and even some of the book back end. It's been a while since I've played around with that. Um, but yeah, it is. It probably, it probably hasn't advanced very much since you were last in at the book side of things. <laughs> probably not, no. They did make the um, the podcast side of things that when it launched, it wasn't very iPad friendly. And in the year since, it has become much more iPad friendly. So that's a good thing. They've been working on that, at least. At least there is someone there working on these things. <laughs> right. whenever, that, whenever that intern gets around to the books, yep. side of stuff, I, I will look forward to that day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have a process for testing the EPUBs and the Kindles and um, like... Do you load them up on e-ink Kindles or um, Kobos or whatever they have? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, I have a, a beta reading process, um, which is what it, what it tends to be called, uh, a sort of proofreading with a set of trusted and jealously guarded people um, where they get the book in various formats, um, which automatically takes uh, tends to take care because some, some people will put it on a Kindle, some people will put it on, a, you know, read it in a Apple books on an mm-hmm. Apple device, people put it on the Nooks and the Kobos and so on and so forth. Um, but most of that's for proofreading and annotating. So in the Kindle case, you're getting highlight notes back, which you can export from Amazon. Uh, people use Pages, so you've got the actual highlighted comments that are native to Pages or the equivalent thing in Microsoft Word. Um, that's mostly just for the content. But then, of course, once the layout is done, there's 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 really there's less to to beta test there because, as I say. I've made the the sort of the corresponding export styles for Ulysses years ago, and it's they've been you know tested in the field uh, so many times. And I'm writing novels, so it's not like there it's not like it's a technical book about Swift or anything. There's not complex tables and you know you don't have images breaking and, up pages and making it look no, older. it's yeah. <laughs> A paragraph of text a few years ago is going to render the same way, um, yeah. You know, this year, so that aspect of it isn't too bad. But yeah, we absolutely always get a chance to see it on all these different devices, if for no reason other than that this house is littered with e-ink Kindles. <laughs> um, 
you I, maybe you're the same. I don't know, but you log into Amazon to look at your devices, and you're horrified when it's it's saying sort of you know send a sample of this book to Matt's ninth Kindle or something. <laughs> right. Oh my God, have I had that many? But yes, yes, we have had that many. So I've got plenty of test devices around the house if I need them. Do you have a favorite e-ink device to read on? Yeah, the one I use right now is the um, the not the 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 latest, but the previous generation Kindle Oasis. Okay, the one that's it's the same form factor as the current one but it doesn't have the sort of yellowish softer backlight it's, it's got the whiter backlight. that's the big one um yeah that's right it's the one that has a it, it's sort of slightly it's thicker at one end although it's only like a, i don't know half a half a centimeter or something yeah and it's very very thin at the other end it's got page stone buttons but also you can use the screen and as you say it has a, a bit more of a sort of squarer overall form factor than mm-hmm. a, a rectangle and it's a it's a beautiful thing to use. It has the usual limitations of e-ink, the sort of the very jarring page turns every so often. It's very flashy yeah. and it's not great to type on if you're searching the store on it, but it's a beautiful thing to hold. It's lovely to read on and there are so many options for, Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 43 in a couple of months. So if I'm reading in the evening, I will quite often, you know, just bump the brightness up one touch and bump the point size up a couple and just to make it... Yeah, light, light is important. Important, uh. <laughs> yeah, make it easier on these old eyes, and it's wonderful for that. But the, the main thing I love about it is that because it's got that bump on the rear of it at one side, on the side with the page turn buttons, that's a natural place to hold it. Oh, and yeah. It's got the it's got the accelerometer feature from iPhones and iPads, so you can just flip the thing around and it flips the screen. So you can move it from hand to hand as you move. You know, if you're leaning to a different side in bed or on the couch. That is actually, it's a simple thing, but it's the main feature I love about it, that it's got an accelerometer to flip the screen upside down when you move it to the other hand. Oh, very nice, yeah. Yeah, with paper books, you can't exactly turn them upside down to... No, you've got that. When you're in the middle of the book, it's fine, but if you're at the start or at the end, it's it's kind of it's pretty ungainly. Yes. It's a difficult thing to hold. And yeah, it can the, be, the Kindle yeah. does take care of that. Uh, so you mentioned shortcuts uh, a bit ago. Um, what are some of the other shortcuts you use, if any? I, I don't use too many shortcuts, um, but the 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 main the one that I use every day. Oh, I suppose there are two that I use every day, and I don't actually have to interact with them at all because they are automations that run on their own. Aren't those awesome? I love that. That's the thing now. They are great. And it's nice because Apple keeps adding new triggers uh, for these things in the new iPadOS and iOS versions. Uh, One is dead simple that if my battery gets beneath 40%, it automatically puts on the battery saving mode, um, which is very useful for the phone because I only upgrade every few years. So that maximum charge capacity does go down. Uh, But the one I use on the iPad is in concert with these new focus modes that we we got on iPadOS 15. I've got a work one, of course, that disallows notifications from almost everything. Uh, I've got a few emergency contacts that I always have to take phone calls from if my son's nursery phones for any reason I obviously want that call to get through but I don't allow any apps like email or social media to notify me Uh, so my my work focus is as simple as that I don't have any extra home screens or anything for it but when you've defined a focus you can then make an automation in shortcuts that is triggered when you either enter and or exit that focus mode even Mm -hmm. if it's doing so automatically so i basically have my work focus come on at nine o'clock in the morning and then go off at midday i think and then it comes back on from one until five p.m 
as well. And I've got an automation whereby when my work focus is enabled, it kills the Wi-Fi on my iPad <laughs> and for productivity reasons, because it's the best way right. to get things done. After a couple of times when you're, 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 uh, treacherous fingers automatically command tab to Twitter in a moment mm -hmm. of indecision about the next sentence and it just get that message you're not connected to the internet yeah. that is so good for getting you back on task that's um, brilliant and the other th the other thing the shortcut does is it starts a two minute timer because there's this um, this principle in productivity where uh, the hardest thing to do is to get started. So basically, I sit down at 9 a.m. and it says, you know, it pops. It's one of these automations that you confirm before running it. And the reason I let it, I make it do that is because if I'm five minutes late or whatever, it will still be sitting on my screen ready to go. Um, it's very possible to be five minutes late when you need to get a one and a half yeah. to nursery in the morning. Uh, and a two-minute timer starts, and I know that I need to start writing within that first two minutes. Just knowing that a timer is running creates this huge pressure. So I quickly command tab into Ulysses, type out the next sentence, and even if it's nonsense, the fact that you've written something just has that little effect mm. of spurring you forward. I've already started today. There's already something. It's not a zero day. I've got something there. The timer finishes. It doesn't make a noise because it's, it's silence and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've already done something. And then it does the same at one o'clock when I sit back down after my lunch uh, with my wife. And these those two things, killing the Wi-Fi and giving me two minutes to get started, they are incredibly effective. And I love... Like how it, it turns it off at a certain times and turns it back on. So if like you're having lunch and turns back on work mode, it's like, oh, I need to get back to work. Like it, it's it's like you don't need to count. It's kind of calendaring out your day with focus mode, which I kind of love that notion. Yeah, it's like a, it's a wee gentle sort of nudge or nag. Uh, because, of course, when a focus mode comes on based on a, a schedule or some other automatic uh, system, it slides this wee pill down onto the from the top of the screen. Uh, much the same as the, the pill that comes down when you magnetically dock an Apple Pencil onto the top of the iPad. Yeah. It's a similar looking thing. And it just serves as a, why aren't you back at your desk yet sort of nudge if I happen to, to still be downstairs. Yeah, I use the sleep focus mode. And when that comes on like for the cool down or whatever they call it, it's like, is it really already 9.30? It's like, oh, I guess it is. <laughs> yep. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's tiny little productivity hacks like that that I find make the most difference and the, and the fact that you've actually scheduled a time for it that's that's one of the big the biggest sort of um, scientific takeaways for productivity I think literally putting something in your calendar with a specific time on a specific day boosts your likelihood of completing it by over 90%. It's something ridiculous like that. It's this intentionality of scheduling and I find that the, the focus mode's pretty much have that effect because you're going to see on the screen not just of your work device but your phone as well when you should be back at your desk yeah and that's huge for someone who works from home and who theoretically has a completely flexible schedule that's the enemy what you need is the structure and that's what the the focus modes let me have do you uh also use an apple watch i don't i had one a few years ago um and i just i i actually i found it was too much um okay too much to manage too many things i could do on it it's a yeah it's a wonderful device it does some magnificent stuff i particularly love the heart health uh features and the monitoring of um the regular heart rate patterns and it's inc it's incredible what i can do and i i watch the keynotes and i, I love learning about the new features 
Uh, but for me, it was just too much. I yeah. wear a, an, a mechanical wristwatch, and I do have a some fitness watch, like a Garmin, I think, at the yeah. moment, that, that I use just for tracking workouts. Yeah, those are great. Um, um, I know a couple people have them. Yeah, the the main thing for me with the Apple Watch is that the for me the battery life just isn't there yet. Um, Fitbits and Garmin's you're charging them once a week, and yeah. sometimes even less frequently. Uh, the idea of having a, a sort of constant tracking and monitoring fitness type device that you need need to charge even once a day that always just really annoyed me. Um, okay. I will gladly yeah. look at it again once the get that battery life up to the multiple days kind of right yeah they got the fast charging up so now it like fully charges like 45 minutes from zero which is nice um but still yeah yeah are having to manage that a bit um i was going to mention you can focus mode your watch so you can like change out your watch face automatically if you're in work mode which is kind of a cool thing Hmm. no it's it's great the way they've um they've made all these integrations the one thing they don't have that i really want is the screen time feature where you can limit the amount of time you're allowed to spend in certain apps or yeah. websites. Um, that really, I assume that iOS and iPadOS 16 will, will hopefully add integration for that. But what I wanted is when I'm defining a work focus, for example, mm-hmm. I also want to say, don't let me launch Twitter or oh, YouTube. Yeah. Um, that would, that seems to me, that seems like an obvious feature and I'm hoping they're going to integrate that because that's the thing I miss most. Yeah. There, there, hmm. Yeah. There are ways to not enable apps, but that's like on a p- pure time basis. That's right. It's a time limit. Yeah. What, yeah. I've, what I've done is I've just sort of created a time limit for things like uh, Twitter and Slack and YouTube and the Guardian and so on and so on. And limit them to one minute because you can't have a zero minute, zero seconds limit. Uh, you have to have some time. So I just limit them to one minute. So they immediately expire pretty much. Um, so by the time I've, you know, checked Twitter briefly in the morning uh, after I had my breakfast, then it goes time's up and that fine. You know, and then I wait to the evening and do the ignore for the rest of the day so I can actually use social media at that point but it's kind of a hack and it just conceptually makes sense that you'd be able to prohibit certain apps and sites in a given focus i just feel that that'd be a natural feature and i hope that they'll allow that yeah it's just looking at that it's it is a pure time limit i thought you could actually schedule um when that happened i guess you can schedule downtime which isn't the same yeah okay they they should add that that's uh, that's crazy they don't. Have- I, I think. Uh, I, I think they, f- uh, they they fully plan to. I can only assume they do. They they made screen time first, and the features for that were built out from the the idea of monitoring how much time you're using an app for and how much time you're spending on things. So the limitations are based on amounts of time rather than a schedule or a focus mode. And then focus came later, um, a couple of years later, I think. Um, and so they're. They're still sort of catching up on yeah. integrating the features from previous years that make most sense there. But it seems they seem so closely tied together that I presume there will be integration coming. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you don't have a unique home screen for work. Do you have any other focuses, like an entertainment focus, when you just want to just not see anything from work and just, just be an iPad land uh, doing something else? I've, th- th- I think the only um, focuses I've got that are non default um maybe even just the work one of course the driving focus is something i i you know passively use on an automatic basis mm-hmm. whenever you know i plug the phone into the car 
Um, but I haven't defined any focuses for other modes simply because when I'm doing things that are substantially other than work, I might not even be using the iPad at all or okay. I don't want any limitations on it because yeah. it's the evening and I'm, I want to mess about with personal projects or watch YouTube or, or something like that. So no, I, I think I've just got the default list uh, with this work focus that's that's customized. Yeah, it's a lot of work to have a focus mode where you're not trying to cut off notifications and people but just change out your home screen. You can do it, but it's like, let me go one by one, select every person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd barely have a single home screen, never mind multiple home screens. I, I don't let the iPad show the app library thing. Um, I have no apps other than a few in the dock. Yeah. I have an empty sort of desktop on my iPad and that's it. Oh, um, wow. I just don't want to see anything there and also i never use it to launch apps i always use spotlight and keyboard shortcuts and that's so natural to me after so many years of using a mac right back in the day that i it, it just for a device like the phone that's in your hand and your thumbs always you know millimeters from an icon that's fine but for the ipad it just feels weirdly unnatural to me i'm, I'm a, a keyboard <laughs> yeah because i've been using computers for so long so i can much 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 more quickly initiate a spotlight search and launch for an app that i want than even finding on a grid of icons or pulling up the app library or things like that have you um played around with widgets i know ulysses has one uh, is that something rather than app icons having widgets is that something you've played around with i've played around with it because um you know apple announces a new feature and at, at wwdc or whatever and then people use it in the betas and post on twitter about it and they're terribly excited and then the official version comes out in september or whenever it is and you install it and you're like yeah i'm going to play with all these new features and then i use it for like a few hours and i think nah i preferred it the way it was and i just turn it all <laughs> off again yeah okay <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple that have been useful, but... Um, there are yeah. times when uh-huh. I will temporarily put widgets up, like, um, you know, if I get parcels coming or if my wife's traveling or if there's some kind of contextual reason to have stuff sitting on the screen that I'm paying attention, that I can occasionally pay attention to, but there's nothing that I leave, you know, sitting up there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just prefer the clean empty aesthetic I, I think back when i was using a mac i didn't even have, have folders lying about the desktop and i switched off the display hard disks on desktop yeah. option in the finer i just i just prefer it empty right and i you know changed my desktop uh, picture or wallpaper sorry as we tend to more commonly say these days uh, i change that quite often but even a lot of them are just custom things i've made up in an image editor to say things like uh, you should be writing right yeah, that's something you could do with the automation when you're in work mode. It could be a different wallpaper from the other mode. Mm, I think um, I I had a couple of automations uh, to change the light and dark wallpapers at sunrise and sunset. I think maybe before dark mode was a thing. Yeah, uh, but but it was a bit unreliable and i forgot about it and of course now the you know a lot of these the apple supplied wallpapers change automatically when they're in dark mode anyway so it right. takes away the need for that well um any other ipad related things you want to chat about before we wrap it up uh, i th- i think that was everything i'm obviously very excited for for wwdc and to see what is announced and what's next but for me um because my needs are simple and they're not onerous on the machine and i'm writing and focusing and i uh, the ipad is kind of perfect 
for me in that it is a single app at a time just bury your head in it like a typewriter kind of uh, device yeah um, i guess i'm a bit of a special case i'm always excited by the features as i say and will be happy to play with them but ultimately my work means that i have to go back to just black text on a white page that i stare at for <laughs> hours that's where i'm most at home and that's where i get most work done um that's why i'm able to work full-time on an ipad excellent oh um what font do you write in typically in Ulysses? Writing? Uh, I mean, I love Palatino. Um, Palatino, it's a, okay. It's a beautiful and pretty widely available serifed font. Uh, I do periodically switch back to the Apple system font just for a bit of a change, but I find that it's easier to read and easier to proofread, particularly uh, if, if it's a font that's got serifs and Palatino just looks beautiful to my eye. What I do do is that when I'm proofreading, I bump the type up another couple of points. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's much easier uh, to proof when the text is large and you can physically scan along it with the Apple Pencil's tip as if you were, you know, marking up a physical document. Uh, yeah. And then I take it back down when I'm actually writing. But yes, Palatino is the one. Oh, and then I remember you mentioned Scribble. Is that something that works well for you? And how do you end up using that? I tend to use Scribble uh, just when I'm proofreading. Uh, I, of course, went through the wee honeymoon period with it when it was a new feature. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll use this with small <laughs> right. and so on. But again, you find, nah, you know what? It's not the quickest and it's not the most accurate way. Um, but I do like it when I'm proofreading and just doing simple edits mm-hmm. to documents because you can scribble out a word yeah. uh, and just the way you would on a printed proof. You can quickly insert, you can uh, split words and join uh it's just, it, it feels very natural and it feels just fluid enough that you don't feel you're being hindered by it being a pen interface on a tablet device. Uh, so I, I, I do it for that. But if it's anything that's going to require a substantial rewrite, more than two or three words even, then I'll just put a TK in there and flip the iPad background, plug it into a keyboard and do it that way. Gotcha, yeah. Well, uh, very cool. Uh, where can people find your books and... Uh support your work uh, well my name is matt gemmel m-a-t-t-g-e-m-e-l-l and my site is at mattgemmel.com all one word and you can find me uh, amazon apple books uh, barnes and noble waterstones all of these places that you would find books uh, and if you want to sign up for those weekly stories you can do that on my website as well if you'd like to keep in touch via social media i am on twitter at matt gemmel and facebook book at Matt Gemmel author because you know my favorite username was already taken <laughs> right well great well thank you so much for your time today this has been a really fascinating chat and uh, I've learned quite a bit which is really good to do it was an absolute pleasure Tim it was great to speak to you again thank you so much well that was my discussion with Matt my thanks to Matt for his time recording this episode and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in if you want to support this podcast go out and download agenda right now my thanks to agenda for sponsoring this episode of iPad pros Learn more at www.agenda.com. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.